Welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast. So, um, if you haven't yet, leave us a review or let us know your thoughts. And also let us know other guests that you'd like us to reach out to, try and get hold of. Bear in mind that we've tried probably the many that you will ask. We've already tried and no replies yet, but you never know. Maybe you could help us or let us know what you want me to speak on. Um, as you know, I like the sound of my own voice, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and, uh, you know, happy to talk at anything. And I've done it for, you know, all I can say is I've done the practice for a long time, you know, um, since I was 19. Um, and, you know, probably have a bit of experience on dealing with a lot of stuff that comes up on the way. Um, so yeah, um, I'm happy to speak on anything. And today I thought I'd speak on negative emotions. <laughs> One of my favorites, uh, since it's, uh, uh, I want to say dear to my heart, not exactly dear to my heart, but, um, you know, an experience that I've had a lot in my life. Um, I started practice at the age of 19. So I was at university studying philosophy and I thought okay, the study of philosophy would sort everything out for me. You know, like I, I could understand things through, through understanding through my mind and it didn't work out that way. And one day in the end, well, not, not that long after starting, really, um, I, I found myself in the, how do you call it, the psychotherapist uh, sessions. And uh, she said, you know, you and everyone else, the philosophy department's here, so don't worry about it. You know, and then I thought, you know what? That doesn't sound so good for philosophy, does it? And no, and even, and as well as that, it didn't sound so, it wasn't really inspiring in terms of the, the, the lecturers that I had, the professors that I had, you know, the teachers. I kind of thought that they would be manifesting more. I mean, you know, I know it's a judgment, but I thought they'd be manifesting more of the qualities that I would hope for, for someone who'd studied the mind and studied thinking that much. And, you know, it wasn't that they would really drastically disappointing. You know, I didn't know anything that much about them really, you know, but, you know, it's, I was kind of hoping for more. And all I found was nitpicking arguments, logic, uh, crazy kind of, uh, theoretical debates. Nothing about living and the, the, the idea, the Socratic nature of uh, philosophy, that where it comes from, right? Socrates, yeah, the Greeks, the ancient Greeks kind of started a modern philosophy and it, modern philosophy, not, not all philosophy, modern, modern Western philosophy. Let's qualify that. And they said, you know, well, what we're trying to find is wisdom, you know, wisdom for life, you know, the, and questioning life. The Socratic method is questioning life. It's questioning what the reason of living is and how to live a happy life, you know, what our function is as, as uh, Aristotle, um, you know, starts off with his, his, uh, Nicomachean ethics, you know, what's the function of man, you know, what's our function. If we know our function and we, and we fulfill our function, then surely we're going to be happy in fulfilling our function. You know, that's Aristotle. Anyway, Socrates is just questioning everything, you know, <laughs> um, and we don't do that, that this much these days, you know, I mean, I think we, you know, we we tend to accept a lot because we're kind of tired, overstimulated, overworked, um, you know, over, over, ha oh, and too many questions already in terms of what we have to do in life, right? There's always a question, you know, almost moment to moment, there's a question in our life. So we don't really question the bigger questions that much or we accept the, nar the narratives that are fed to us. Um, and I think also because society is becoming increasingly overbearing in terms of the need to conscript, the need to locate our value in the eyes of another, you know, uh, the cancel culture. And there's no room for the tolerance of subjectivity, the tolerance of the individual. In fact, there's very little toleration altogether, isn't there? So it's, you know, it's kind of a frightening position for the individual to be in, uh, to locate all the value in society's eyes. Uh, but nevertheless, it seems like we're increasingly not encouraged, but, you know, almost forced to do so. So 
anyway, that's, a, I suppose, a short introduction to the topic today. As I said, I was going to talk on negative emotions, so here I am. Uh, and uh, the negative emotions in not just in life, you know. I mean, obviously, I said I started uh, my my quest, my quest with Ashtanga, my quest with philosophy very young, just to deal with negative emotions arising. I didn't really have any framework to deal with them, you know. Um, and the practice did help. It was the only thing that helped, really, you know. And I tried, you know, to be patently honest, I tried um, the psychotherapy, all types. I tried a different couple of different types of uh, meditation, uh, meditation, and also a few different types of medication. Right. So I've been really searching around the houses for for things, you know, and all different alternative therapies, you know, uh, acupuncture and homeopathy and all these things, you know, just to try and uh, try and sort myself out. And then, you know, you do the Ashtanga practice and, you know, it does work. It does. It does do the job. I really, at least, you know, it did for me um, and it enabled me to come off medication, which is you know incredible. Um and, uh, you know, in, I'm not, not suggesting you do so, but nevertheless, it, for me, I was able to wean myself off uh, antidepressants in about a year. It was hard, you know, because you kind of get addicted to them, I guess. Uh, and then I, you know, I found that I was left with a sense of relative well-being that I could actually explore things further before I couldn't even ask the questions, you know. Now, everything was too much. I just had to blank everything out. And then I was, you know, held by the practice in a way that could start looking around once again and asking questions about my life and myself and my reality. On the other hand, what it also does is stir things up. Yeah. So I say you have a honeymoon period in the Ashtanga practice, which is, you know, uh, say about you know, a year or two, I reckon, where you're just feeling pretty good. You know, I mean, it is incredible as a discipline. If everyone, you know, if everyone's done any other disciplines and then they come to Ashtanga, they always say, you know, I'd done this and I'd done that. And then I come to Ashtanga and I just felt amazing, you know, and it's true. You remember your first class, right? I'm walking home. It's usually an evening, right? You usually do a class in the evening, first of all. And you walk home and just think, oh my God, it's like floating. And you know, this is it. This is it. I can remember those first classes, you know, the first year or two, uh, it still sends tingles up my spine, to be honest, right now. Um, I was in Leamington Spa in the middle of England. I'd gone to university there. Um, I was struggling with my uh, my finals. Lots of uh, lots of essays, and I tie myself up with essays. Anyway, so it just came at the right time, and it was just incredible that I did this uh, this kind of practice that I, I can't. I, I haven't even got words for it. On the other hand, what it did after a couple of years is quite the opposite. It started to bring those emotions to the surface again. So for a while, I suppose it acts as a suppressant, right? It kind of, it's, it, it kind of levels you out, which is great. And you need that, you know, but after a while, if you do the job right, yeah, which is hard to avoid, really, you can do it more effectively still, you know, more effective or less effective, but you, you can't really avoid doing the job of the practice if you practice regularly. Yeah. And that is to stimulate the spine and you're moving, you're breathing, you're turning the spine and all these asanas. I mean, it's so different to say playing football or the gym. You just don't stretch the spine continuously in all these ways. Every single movement you're doing, you're working with the flexion and extension and torsion of the spine. Yeah. You don't get that in anything else, you know, well, maybe dance or, you know, but the way that you're doing it with Bunda and the breathing is just, it creates the spine, like a pressure chamber for the spine in a way, because you're pulling, if you do it, you know, and again, you can do it more or less effectively in any way, to be honest, if you do this, it will work because you're moving and breathing, concentrating, concentrating the attention makes a big difference as well. Yeah. And 
you stimulate those nerves that run up and down the spine and they're the central nerves of the nervous system i think you know um in other words you know if you cut the the spine you know that's that's end that's that's curtains for you you know those nerves that un, run up and down the spine are your 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 central being as it were so when you're moving the spine you're moving those nerves and that stimulates all these emotions that i would suggest are stored in those nerves i mean you know emotions thoughts feelings we could call it trauma we could call it karma they're stored in the body yeah we know that you know we, we have stuff stored in the body it's not just stored in the mind it has to be stored in the nerves in the energy in the energy of the body you know somewhere you know not in non-tangible way my suggestion is it's stored up and down the nerve of the spine and so you're moving the spine and you're stimulating the energy and you're not stimulating it for any good or bad reason let's say i mean as much as you're just stimulating it so it comes up again imagine uh, i often use the metaphor of sediments right so you lay down sediment uh the sea you know the sea lays down sediment layers and layers and layers of rock you see a cliff right it's got these different layers that the sea lays down well that's life isn't it different layers of sediment laid down and things become more and more rigid more and more stuck more and more compressed let's say more and more claustrophobic in our lives you can see an old person often and how how narrow their their world becomes yeah um and what yoga does is the opposite it allows that sediment to be stirred up again it breaks up that sediment of the spine yeah not only literally because the spine becomes mobile but you know much more interestingly interestingly than that it breaks up the the, the laid down compressed ossified emotions and reactions and trauma that stirred up there that's stored there and stirs it up like a muddy pond again so you're stirring up this muddy pond as i said it doesn't happen straight away i don't think you know and it shouldn't do i think that ashtanga can also be used to put to, to put a cap on things and that's really helpful too yeah sometimes you just need that cap you know get by for a while on the other hand after a while it's gonna do that and people say the funny thing is people say to you oh you know you're doing yoga you must be so relaxed you know you gotta go well <laughs> yeah <laughs> because you know it doesn't necessarily do that i mean it shouldn't do that if you do it right it shouldn't do that it should stir up these past things impressions memories emotions trauma all in the body bring them to light and then you can take a second look at them again and decide what's relevant and what's not relevant anymore and just you know it's oh, that's all you have to do is see it in the light of day yeah, you can't see those things they have power over you as soon as they come up into your consciousness again it's like steam you know steam arising in the morning if you imagine this metaphor steam arises in the morning and the light the sun rises and it evaporates that steam again the same I suggest that the emotions in the body that all the stuff stored in the spine you move it up comes to the surface you've got this muddy pond and having seen that muddy pond you can then dispel you know they just they just evaporate you know they let they cease to have power over you and this is the idea of hatha yoga and, and i think to a great extent this um idea as uh as people say of digesting the emotions you know the tantric idea of digesting and in a way purifying your body through this digestive um, digestion of emotion so not purification again in, in a way of good or bad just just your own stuff your own stuff coming up and going out right so this does work i mean it's worked for me but on the other hand it's it's kind of risky as well right and it's kind of risky because you know yes it's meant to stir things up but can you cope with seeing what you need to see right or does it overwhelm you? Because our practice can make people, if you haven't noticed, a bit more ungrounded, a bit more 
overstimulated, a bit more crazy, you know, not crazy. I mean, I shouldn't use that word really, but you know, a bit more ungrounded, let's say, than, than maybe if they didn't do it even sometimes, right? Because all this stuff has come to the surface again, right? It's easy to keep a lid on things and pretend to be normal. But when all this stuff comes to the surface again, you definitely don't always feel normal in practice. And, you know, I definitely had that experience of my store. I know many people did that were with me there, um, especially when you start putting leg behind the head. Uh, particularly for me, leg behind the head, the back bends, the deep back bends didn't do as much as the kind of torsion you're getting and flexion in the spine with the leg behind the head that really starts to do something with the emotions and you just feel weird, basically. You know, all this stuff coming up, it does you don't need to generally put a name on it, you know, oh, that was when my dad did this, or sometimes it comes like that, but often it's just like emotion, like you just can't really, it's nebulous, ambiguous, it's just there in the body. Confusion is the main, probably the main kind of qualification you might say about it. And, you know, as long as you can bear it, as long as you can see it and tolerate it, my suggestion is it goes up and out, just dissipates in the clear light of day like steam. Yeah. But can you do that? The problem is, can you do that? And do you have the, the, the kind of con context and framework and stability in your practice to be able to do that? Yeah. And that's the question because oftentimes we get into the practice because it's stimulating. Yes. Stimulating for a reason. But the outside life, in other words, everything around that practice should not be stimulating. Yeah. But it tends to attract those people that like stimulation. They approach the practice for stimulation. Yes, you get that. But then you get uh, the tendency to lead a life which is more stimulating because we like that already. You know, and the practice kind of can make you feel like that. So you do more of that. So then you take loads of coffee and you're going out and you're socializing with loads of people in Mysore, for example, Mysore or whatever, you know, and, you know, feeling very dynamic, you know, very energized. And you just have no grounding or no framework or stability to process those emotions. Again, all this happened to me. I'm not talking um, off the top of my head, you know. Um, so you need a context around what you're doing to stabilize these emotions coming up so you can tolerate them so you can clearly see them and fully digest them yeah and this is i think what we're lacking in our teeth in in, in what's taught to us about the practice that that there needs to be a, a calm steady peaceful context or lifestyle around the yoga in other words the asana is part of it but it, it, the asana is a small part of a whole yoga lifestyle and the rest of the lifestyle needs to be able to process digest and take in what happens in this highly stimulating practice of asana yeah and it is it is i think it's easy you know because you do it regularly to think oh you know it's just yeah it's very very powerful you know it really is and even me you know you kind of forget you think well you know it's just moving the body isn't it it's just a body thing you know how how strong can it be but it really really is so you have to take it seriously finally and before i start telling you how to maybe uh, deal with these negative emotions that arise or that you know let's say the all that arises from this sediment that's stored up in the body through the torsion of the spine twisting and turning what you can do is make it more effective still <laughs> if you want to I, I suggest if you're moving breathing and concentrating on those things it will do the job anyway yeah, to get the stuff out and then it's up to you what you do with it as i say yoga doesn't necessarily help you digest it all depends on the usage it's like a drug in a way it just increases what's there 
Yeah, it just it just it's a fast track to increasing what's there and getting it out. What you do with it is up to you. Doesn't doesn't help you necessarily with that. That's the lifestyle part of it. That's yoga as a lifestyle. But you can make it even more effective to get the stuff out of you by the use of compression in the body and bandha. Yeah, so if you use the breath correctly, if you use the, the idea of bandha correctly, not just as pulling in your lower abdomen, but as breathing and stretching in a, in such a manner that it pressurizes the spine because you're pulling together, not stretching out of yourself, you're then increasing that pressure on the spine and increasing the pressure on the spine increases the stimulation of those nerves and the breaking up of sediment and the releasing of this into your consciousness, yeah, by a certain way of stretching that's not stretching out of yourself, but more stretching into yourself. Anyway, that's a kind of se separate subject, isn't it? But what we're here to, to talk about today is how to process these negative emotions. And well, first of all, well, one, admit that they arise. That's natural. And if people tell you yoga is relaxing, then they're talking out of their you know, it's not, it's not mentally relaxing. Yes, it puts a cap on things sometimes and you can use it to put a cap on things and that's great. But really it's meant to be quite the opposite of relaxing. It's meant to stir things up so you can take a second look. So you're free, free once again to take a second look and make your mind up about past experiences that are trapping you in the present. It does that physically, mechanically, hardly avoidable, as I said. But how do we deal with that and make it most effective and don't get over, uh, re-traumatized by the yoga that we're doing. You can kind of re-traumatize you when these things come up, right? Yeah, you can go back into it like a, like a re-triggering or whatever they say these days, you know? So how do we do that? Well, first of all, as I mentioned with the breathing, you have to do it correctly, right? And you know, I don't like to say right or wrong, correct or incorrect, but you know, it's not, it's not breathing in the throat. When, it, when we talked about Ujjayi or when it was talked about Ujjayi and Bandha, it's easy to think that's just throat breathing, like very loud and very contracted in the throat and then pulling in your abdomen as hard as you can. Well, one, if you pull in your abdomen as hard as you can, then you freeze the diaphragm. Yeah? And the diaphragm is where you want to breathe from, yeah? that muscle in the middle of your body. You want to breathe from there. It's a, it, it's, a regulator, it's a regulator for the nervous system, the diaphragm. If you breathe diaphragmatically, you're restoring and releasing emotions from your body. Yeah, It's a huge trauma release to take a full breath, which is generally a diaphragmatic breath. And that breath isn't in the throat either, is it? So this ujjayi, this idea of ujjayi as breathing in the throat, your, all, a lot of your, um, your tension um, regulation and your tension responses are in the throat, they're in the neck, right? You get a tense neck, you know, when you get uh, worried or, or emotional. So you don't want to tense the neck when you're breathing, right? And you certainly don't want to breathe in the throat. That's not the yoga breathing. You want to breathe using the diaphragm, breathe using the bandha, the lower abdomen, to draw the diaphragm down, not just squeeze the abdomen, which freezes the diaphragm. So you want to use the bandha to draw the diaphragm down. And that, to me, is the, the really deeper use of bandha rather than just using the abdomen to I don't know what, to pull it in, you know, which is what I used to do, you know, again, talking about my own experience. So neither do you want to feel a loud sound, you know, hear a loud sound or feel a contraction in the throat. Yeah? You want to have a slightly narrowed area of the, the throat so you can take the air down slowly, in which case it will contact the diaphragm. If you can't breathe slowly, methodically, i.e. incrementally, slowly, one, same air pressure, one and two and three, same air pressure, yeah, and you just breathe in a puff, it doesn't work. You can't contact the diaphragm. You'll just breathe around the clavicle, around your collarbone, yeah, in the throat. So you need to be able to contract, or not contract, not contract, but narrow slightly the air of the lower, the, the glottis area, the throat, but not contract the throat, yeah? Narrow it, but don't contract it. So, yeah, one, reappraise the use of ujjayi and bandha. That's one. 
to take longer in the postures. I think the practice is generally practiced too fast. It was eight or 10 breaths originally in my saw. This got slowed down, uh, speeded up, sorry, because of numbers. Numbers made uh, uh, the need to get people through faster. So the breaths became reduced in each posture, but it was a longer stay. And often people stayed longer still. The practice is probably too fast these days, right? So if you feel like you need to stay longer some days, don't do so much practice. Just do less postures, more breaths. Yeah, Don't have to do all the practice all, um, every day. Say not all day. Um, to that end, you don't always have to do the same practice. Don't always have to do your whole practice and the same practice every day. Respect your body. That's another tip. Respect your body. And some days you already feel overstimulated. You already feel overtired, drained, perhaps emotionally or physically or mentally drained. So you do a practice according to that. You, you still using the same tools of Ashtanga, i.e., diaphragmatic breathing, uh, stretching in compression, pulling together. Yeah, but you're not using it the same manner. Maybe you're using it for grounding. You stay in the asanas longer. You don't do the whole practice. You pick you pick some asanas, right? There's like a blueprint. Yeah, doesn't mean you have to do the whole thing every day to be a traditional, in quotes, ashtangi. Yeah, so use the practice accordingly. And when you're a human being, not a robot, so your practice should change from day to day, right? So stay in postures longer. Breathe, uh, breathe deeply. Make sure you breathe deeply, and make sure perhaps you breathe more thoroughly than just the idea of this uh, Ujjayan Bandha uh, as it's uh, simplistically taught, let's say. Um, yeah, and the, the other thing then, I guess, is that you have to, you know, basically you have to contextualize it in a whole lifestyle, right? Sorry, one, one thing before that, before I come to the lifestyle part, is that use the closing sequence. The closing sequence is really the, oh, I can't believe I forgot this. The ultimate panacea is the closing sequence. So the closing sequence is there for grounding, calming, restoring um, quality on the nervous system you've just stimulated. You've stimulated it in practice. Now you're going to ground it and calm it down. Right? So if you don't take a long closing, if you don't do closing at all, I have to admit, hand on heart, I used to skip closing sometimes. Didn't have time. Crazy now to think about it. And I always used to feel overstimulated and not great. You know, Long closing sequence and fundamentally in the closing sequence, breath is longer and there should be no pressure on the neck. The neck in the closing sequence is fundamental. You should not take pressure on the neck in shoulder stand or headstand, right? So how do you do that? If you're feeling like you're taking pressure in shoulder stand, use a blanket underneath the shoulders, the neck lies over the top of that. If you feel it in headstand, maybe change the position of the hands, Use blocks, even or a little uh, something underneath the arms slightly, so you can raise the the uh, the shoulders a bit, so the head doesn't take so much pressure. Do it against the wall. Don't go up in it every day. Strengthen stre and strengthening, you know, so you can take the weight. The headstand should be weight through the arms and shoulders. It should not be weight in the head. It's a misnomer because it's not called headstand. It's called shish asana, head position. So the weight is not in the head. Yeah. Same with shoulder stand. That's fundamental because that freedom of the neck, the relaxation of these muscles in the neck is tantamount to relaxing and restoring and regulating a stimulating effect that's happened to you in asana practice. So use it accordingly. You, the, the closing sequence is there for a reason. Yep. Yeah? And when you don't do it, you will notice. Yep. Yeah? So you can experiment. Try, try not doing it one day and see what happens. I mean, you know, it won't kill you for one day, you know, but don't do it. If, for many days, you will notice. You certainly will notice. Anyway, the final thing dealing with negative emotions is the whole lifestyle. This is the main thing. Yoga is a lifestyle, and there's so few of us that really want to approach yoga as a lifestyle because we like the stimulation of asana practice. And so we use the asana practice as a 
further stimulation in our lives. And really, the asana practice is not that. It's uh, it's doing something else, really, you know. Um, and as I've said, what it's doing is it's trying to restore and resolve past experiences, karma, yeah, karma, trauma. Yeah, again, I think that the, the two words are very similar. Uh, trauma is obviously ne always negative. Karma is always not necessarily negative. Um, could be good or bad. All impressions are karma. Yeah, vastness or samskaras laid down in the body. Anyway, so a yoga lifestyle. What does that mean? It means well, just the obvious. You know, uh, look at your diet. Experiment with your diet. There's no one way, and th this will change over the years as well. As you get older, as you do different things, you need different things. So experiment with your diet um, and grounding foods. You know, some use of heavier foods if you're feeling overstimulated uh, will help. Well, you know, it, you know, and just play around with it. You know, and see what works for you. Um, that may be vegetarian. I hesitate to say that may not be vegetarian all the time, you know, perhaps a vegetarian diet doesn't suit all people, although ethically, obviously, it's the preferable choice. Realizing that we do harm in the world anyway, whether we're just turning on a light switch or walking down the road, we're affecting so many beings, um, killing loads of bugs, for example, but also affecting many, many people in our actions that we don't realize that faces others behind that are, you know, suffering in other places, so we can have our comfort. So, you know, violence is inherent in life. Perhaps I would say, and I know some will disagree, whether, you know, to, the, the, the eating of an animal, flesh, now and again, or even regularly, isn't necessarily the worst thing you can do in terms of violence. You know, you're doing it anyway. Yeah. So it's a bigger subject, and perhaps I won't go further into it now. Maybe on a later podcast, I can. Um, but yeah, we know that the Buddhists, uh, many of them, the Dalai Lama, for example, eats meat because, yes, violence is inherent in life. But another subject, yeah, um, obviously a breach of literal ahimsa and for many people a big no-no. But so use grains and beans as grounding. Watch your coffee and caffeine intake. Watch your sugar intake. Get sleep, you know, try to sleep properly. Even if you don't sleep when you go to bed, just stay there and rest. Rest your mind. Don't get on the phone if you can't sleep, you know. Obvious things, you know. Don't watch the sti stimulating stuff before you go to bed, yeah. Keep your phone somewhere, place where you can't grab it if you can't sleep, you know. But stay in bed, you know. And, you know, sleep is the most important thing probably you can do to restore your body. You know that. To have sleep. And finally, I suppose, you know, just things like what you do with your social life, right? Like, watch the company you take. If you're speaking, you know, just rubbish with loads of company. I, you know, again, I, I put my hand up and say, you know, I could spend a lot of time just speaking rubbish with people because it's fun. You know? Watch, you know, watch the stimulating effect that people can have on you, you know. Uh, it's tempting to just go out and be with people all the time from, for extroverts like myself. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it overstimulates you. So, you know, we need to, I mean, Patabi Joyce, remember in the Yoga Mala says, watch stimulating places. Don't go to stimulating places. I think he even lists the theatre there or something. Not that many of us go to the theatre these days. <laughs> Anyways, so the whole yoga lifestyle, and it's a disciplined, regulated lifestyle. Yes, I know it's boring, but, you know, some pattern, some pattern and way of living that contextualizes your asana practice is essential if you want it to work. If you really want this thing to work, it has to be slotted in. It has to be the hub, the foundation, the center of a whole lifestyle, which you can process the stuff that comes up in the asana. If it doesn't have that around it, then I think it ends up being a lid or a suppressant or a, a way to close down on these things that come up because they it's like you're stimulating them but the, the the body mind can't really take it and then it puts a lid on them more you know so it ends up just being a blocker where if it's contextualized in a whole lifestyle 
and your subconscious feels like it can deal with the stuff that comes up, it allows it. Yep. Otherwise, I think it can actually further ingrain things as they come up and they get pushed back again. They get deeper ingrained or lodged in the body, perhaps. Yeah. So the yoga lifestyle is the main thing. And that's a, you know, a routine, a way of living, a rhythm to life, you know. Um, and it's, you know, it's a challenge because we tend to want to do things spontaneously and at the moment and, you know, new things and exciting things, you know, attract us. Yeah. But that's yoga, isn't it? You know trying to keep with ourselves rather than the wish to be away from ourselves and stimulation and uh, novelty uh, you know experiences uh, but you know, we're looking at consciousness and doing something with our consciousness we have to keep pointing the arrow back to ourselves where it wants to point in every other place to avoid that you know for some reason right well for some reason because there's a lot of stuff inside that needs to be, that needs to be seen and needs to be dealt with right you know it's a big project you know um but yeah, I mean, you know, so you can do it in many ways. I'm not saying you have to do it this way. I mean, I did it for many ways, not really supporting myself in terms of yoga lifestyle, uh, drinking too much coffee, not eating properly, uh, not taking a proper uh, care of my rhythm of life. And I don't really think, as I say, that it fully did its job until I could do that. But, you know, until you can do that, you know, you do what you can. So for what it's worth, think of these ideas and you know if they mean anything to you then uh, great if they don't just keep doing your practice anyway and then one day maybe they will um and as i said at the start if you feel that there's anything else you want me to discuss or just stay in my box as many people say um i'm happy to do that as well but uh if you have listened to the whole of this and enjoyed it then thanks for bearing with me and listening to this and uh yeah just let me know if you if you want me to turn my attention to anything else mm -hmm.